Hi, you're listening to the Talking Tough podcast, brought to you by Dr. Martins and hosted by me, Georgia Moot, a model and a presenter from London. Over the past year, we've had to be tougher than ever. So we're back again to discuss stories of resilience with our guests, covering important topics such as the politics of gender and Black Lives Matter. We explore how our guests have got through tumultuous times. Hope you enjoy. So today on Talking Tough, we are joined by Jamie Windust. Jamie is an author, presenter and model who is leading conversations around gender and identity. Some of Jamie's accolades include their TED talk titled Support for Trans People Isn't Radical, It's Urgent, a hard-hitting talk which addressed and emphasised the realities of being trans and non-binary in society. Jamie is also contributing editor for the Gay Times and most recently has published their highly praised first book, In Their Shoes, Navigating Non-Binary Life. So Jamie, welcome to Talking Tough. Thank you very much, Georgia. What (laughs) what an ego boost. I wanted to kind of ask, yeah, I wanted to ask about your upbringing and where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Dorset, which is like southwest England. Um, in Dorchester, which is like a small, very villagey kind of market town, very quaint, very uh, traditional. It's just very, yeah. It was it was cozy. I think to to be a young person growing up there, it was, you know, it was fine. It was safe. It was comfortable. It was. I had a roof over my head. I was. My family all lived with me. So yeah, it was. It was. It was comfortable. I think. I think it was only until I got to about. 13 14 that I realized I felt like the walls of the place kind of coming in on me a bit I was like I need to leave when when you're young and you're and you're you know different in a place like that and you even have like the the initial thought of I need to leave here it becomes such an urgent feeling of like I need to fly the nest I need to go to London I need to go to Manchester I need to get out um so yeah I lived with that feeling for about five years but we did it. We left. We flew. So it's quite small town vibes. Were gender, were conversations around gender going on? Mm, I think when I was first kind of thinking about gender, but I guess before that at school, you know, when in like sex education or any form of education, there was no, there was no discussion around gender. There was only kind of, only just discussion around same sex couples. And that was what, when I was like 11, so 2008, which, you know, I've said that to quite a few people before who are in their 30s or, you know, lived, have, have lived through a time where there was no sex education. It is quite, I think it is quite shocking to think that, you know, only a mere like 10, 11 years ago, there was still very, very, very minimal sex education when it comes to LGBTQ plus people. Um, it just meant that I had to learn it all myself. I had to just, I just learn online, learn speaking to other people online, just scouring social media and the internet to find out 
find out things because I wasn't told them in school. And I think if we were all told them in school, it wouldn't have only benefited me, but it would have helped the people around me realise what the differences are with gender and gender identity and gender expression are so that they can, they're not as, uh, I guess, shocked or prejudicial around people who are gender diverse. If it doesn't subscribe to you, or if you don't feel like it fits, it's still worthwhile knowledge to have. Of course, just to gain a basic level of empathy as children, which also children are very much have the capacity for, they're just not given the tools. Um, I mean, thinking back to my own education, we had a very basic level of sex education and it was very much within the binaries. Um, and it was really not anything, none of the kind of, I mean, I call them nuances, but they're not even really nuances. It's, it's more just conversations that I've, as I've got older, I've realized are happening, um, but they definitely weren't kind of touched upon in school even stuff around consent and and all of those things that I then it's only now looking back I'm like why was that not I could have done with this so much back then that would have been so helpful um mm. but instead like you said it it pushes people to then have to find out on their own which can also just be sometimes like a, a, a quite dangerous and, and an isolating place to be as well um so in your kind of quest to find you know information and look elsewhere did you have any kind of specific role models in the media or online that you looked up to who kind of helped you through that time I think at the at the at the time that it was that I was beginning to question things or think about things in a different way I'm not a huge fan well I guess the word question is fine but you know just to explore things um, it was around the time of Caitlyn Jenner and around the time with her Vanity Fair cover. I remember that being important for me, but at the time I didn't really know why. I was like, this feels, this feels major, but I can't put my finger on what it is yet. And I guess what that led me to do is to look through social media and find people like, um, at the time it was people like Paris Lees, people like Sean Fay, people, you know, people who were just being themselves and and were successful you know and were just like talking about gender in a very articulate way but in a way that like you say explores the nuance of it and explores the kind of intersectionalities of it um and then I guess because I'm like an annoying Gen Zer, my other one was YouTube there was a lot of people on YouTube that I I really resonated with people like um, like Patrick Starr, like Miles J, like people that were just like per perceived to challenge gender norms. Again, I didn't notice that I was, why I was drawn to them, but I was, and now I understand why. But I also understand what you're saying about Caitlyn Jenner, because I guess it's, um, that was definitely a kind of pivotal moment in kind of pop culture, but they also really only represented a very small niche She's obviously not the be all and end all of trans representation. Um, yeah, I agree with you. She represents a very, you know, she represents being a trans woman, fine, but she does represent a very specific niche demographic of trans women. It also puts a lot of pressure on that one person to therefore provide a completely polished and intersectional and nuanced version of what their whole community is like. That is, you know, that was a tough decision for me because I, what I realised was 
that you know that's what's happened with me that is so true you know I've been put in these positions because I'm white I'm palatable I'm a bit I look a bit funny sometimes like people want people want that and you know great (laughs) you know and I it was a tough decision but like a decision that was incredibly saving of my sanity and mental health was like last year I was like do you know what I don't need to speak about I don't need to say yes to all of these things I don't need to put myself in the position to talk about gender all the time because it's not only a disservice to me it's it's maybe disservice is the wrong word but it doesn't represent the whole community if I'm just there and that's been so brilliant to you know over the past 18 months to to enact when I've realized that I need to I want to step down I not step down but you know just like take a step back and do things that I love I don't have to always talk about things that are stressful if you could kind of explore even more the frustration that comes with your gender identity constantly being at the forefront of your conversation because obviously it's a very important topic but it's also it's it you're not talking on something this is your lived experience as well and that can get quite exhausting to keep reeling out you know yeah I think there's a you know with everything that's been going on in the past few weeks and a lot of discussions around the differences between support for trans people and women or cis women. And I think the commonality between our experiences is that we, you know, trans people and cis women often, they have their gender identity prefixed to any work that they do, any situation they're in, you know, even like um, in fashion, or in the music industry, you know, with like new female artists or, you know, all of these just like very prefixed gender subscriptions that I think with me, I found it, the amount of times I've had to, you know, I have to correct people about, you don't, you know, you just don't need to mention my gender identity here. And I realized that you can't, I can't rely on other people to do that. I have to be able to do that in what I want to do and in my work. So I don't necessarily include it in all of my work now. Obviously, you know, with the book, that was a real moment to be like, this is my story. The book is closed now. I don't need to, unless I feel the need to, I don't need to speak about it. And I think that's what I regained is the autonomy to be able to decide when I speak about these issues and when I don't. And I think for a long time, I didn't have that, didn't have those boundaries to be able to, within myself, to be like, I don't want to speak about this. And it just drove me into the ground. It's towing the line of um, expressing, obviously, the realities, which are not always nice or fair and are important to be raised, but also on whoever's talking about them's terms. It's not something that should be enforced or that you're just like walking down the street and someone's like, hi, can I talk to you about this trauma that you're facing? And you're like, no. If, like I said, it's like, I have a book for that. <laughs> like, if you want to yeah. hear like, And I think that is really important. Um, to kind of to yeah respect and it's 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 your choice to make to talk about it and that's how it should be I think it's important that people realize they can learn from other people's joy and not just from that trauma I think that's a real you know you don't just need to learn you can't just live your life learning through other people's hardships you need to be able to learn through their happiness as well
but I wanted to move on to talk about uh, pronouns and specifically the kind of uh, the rise of people putting pronouns in their bios and the presence on social media of pronouns and how you all how you feel about that and has that been um, kind of reassuring to see? Yeah, I think you know the introduction of people visibly using their pronouns or visibly sharing their pronouns on social media, in email signatures, in, um, you know, even in like Zoom meetings where people put it at the end of their name, like things like that. I just think anything that normalizes the conversation around knowing each other's pronouns and respecting them is important. And I think what frustrates me about it is that people think it's a massive deal is that it's blown up into this huge, you know, it's it's just it's just unnecessary. I, I find I find pronouns really again, just like mundane. I find it really boring that it is I don't mean now, but I just mean in like the media. Um that it's fixated on, that it's such a kind of yeah. huge thing. I mean, even literally I did it and it took two seconds. I don't, I don't think about it. I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean, I think that's the thing that I find so frustrating with so many trans issues in the media is that they are painted as if we, as if we as trans people find these problems really important. And obviously, you know, pronouns are important, but the way that things like pronouns or bathrooms or the whole debate around like blue and pink like they're painted in the media as if like trans people every day are on social media like this is the most important thing in our lives right now and it's like well it's important but the way it's painted out makes it seem that it's the most important you know I could say this till the cows come home but so many trans issues I don't think about I'm made to think about them because cis people bring them to my attention. I don't think about what I look like. I don't think about what I wear. I don't think about my pronouns until they are challenged. And that's not on me. And then you'll put in a defense space as well, like a, a, a space where you are then forced to defend yourself. I think once we kind of try and let egos go and understand that like, we're all just trying to make the world more comfortable for everyone, then it would be so much nicer. It would just be so much easier and maybe take less responsibility on you to kind of both respond to a situation and then also like diffuse a situation. That's the thing. There's so much pressure on on the marginalised voice in this situation, the trans person, to do, yeah, to do all of that, to take this conversation on, to potentially have to mediate the conversation, to potentially have to calm the situation down, to then potentially have to educate the person. It's like, like you say, it's so based in ego because if someone gets your pronouns wrong, the fear behind that is that they are then going to be seen as uneducated, like, you know, even like a bigot or like, you know, they're going to, they think that they're going to be seen as someone that's transphobic. And it's like, you know, I know that that's not true. If someone gets my pronouns wrong that I know, or if some, you know, even if I don't know them, and then I correct them, they get them right. I know that they're not a transphobe. I just, they just might not be aware, and that's fine. Yeah, ego is a thing sometimes. It makes people, 
it makes it stops people from learning because they cannot see the fault in their own self are there any other ways that you can think of that like might normalize the conversation or just make life slightly easier um kind of for trans and non-binary people are there any it can be small it can be big like is there anything else that you can think of I think one thing that, especially with like they them pronouns, is to is to just if you're you know if you even this is appropriate for people of all genders. You know, I've been in situations before where this has happened. But if you if you meet someone and you don't know their gender, just use they until, and that's not necessarily applicable to all people. You know, some people can find that stressful, and that's absolutely fine. But I think. Use they until you can have a moment, whether it be a private moment or if you feel it comfortable to have it in a, in a group setting, to just ask that person. I think there's, again, it's centered in ego. People fear that if you ask someone their pronouns, they're going to be offended. Whereas in my experience, and it's very far and few between that people have actually asked me, um, is when I'm asked, it's, incredibly gratifying it's incredibly love it's, it's it's lovely it's like it's just an an initial indicator that this person respects me they respect the fact that i'm in this space and they want me to feel comfortable but anyway so i wanted to move on to talk about the book and I firstly yeah. just want to say huge congratulations because not that I know from personal experience, but I can imagine it's no mean feat to write a book. Indeed, yeah. I mean, it's no mean feat to write it and then also release it in a pandemic. Um, yeah, no, thank you. It was, it was really fun. I really, I've, I really enjoyed it. It took me a year to write. Um, so I, I wrote that's it. not very long. I know. I mean, I got it. I think in the literary world, like a lot of people I know have been given like three, four months to write a book, which is just obscene. Um, but yeah, I, I was given a hilarious deadline of New Year's Eve on, uh, in 2019 to finish it. And then um, I, yeah, I started it in spring of 2019 and then wrote all the way until the end of the year. And it was just really nice. Um, to work in collaboration with my publishers because the book came about initially through my publishers work quite differently to traditional publishers where that instead of instead of people pitching I mean they do allow people to pitch them books but what they like to do is they work in collaboration with an author or with they think that could write a book and they create an idea with them and then they go for it whereas traditionally what would happen is I would come to them with a fully fledged proposal and then they would say yes or no. And I really liked that mindset because I, I got to see the book evolve before we finalised what it actually was, it became. Um, and yeah, I think for me as well now, looking back on it, I can really see that it was a point for me to be able to be like, this is everything that I want to say in this moment in time. It's just kind of a, a stamp in my lifetime of being like, this is how I feel in this moment and I'm sharing it. And it, I feel like it has allowed me to put a lot of the conversations that I have regularly to bed because I can just be like, I've said it. If you want to go and get it and read it, you do that, but I don't need to say it anymore. My publishers, Jessica Kingsley, they're an LGBT specific publishers. So they work on 
um, books like mine where they're quite anecdotal and story and kind of focused on one person's experience or, or community's experience. And they also work on quite academic books. Um, and the initial proposal was for me to create a, a that we worked on was they wanted me to create a book that was for quite a young, like a younger audience. So like teens, um, very factual kind of instructional guide on on how to navigate the world. And I was like, I don't, I, I can't, I can't do that. That's really interesting as well, because I also think that people do really heavily relate when it is um, an individual story and when it's quite anecdotal. And then it's up to the individual reading to take what applies to their life and um, what they can kind of, see, how they can see themselves in it. Um, but also that's really nice that it was an LGBTQ plus um, publishing house, which and it's something that I like someone like me probably wouldn't even have to think about, but that, that must be quite a reassurance just going in knowing that there's certain things or aspects of your life that you're just not going to have to explain. Um, yeah. and they are just going to understand. And, and that is so important to have, I can only imagine to have that trust with your publisher that they are uh, kind of in the know about your narrative. Yeah. Because what I found really helpful with that was that when it came to writing, and when it came to me, you know, discussing, I guess, what you could describe as like the basics of being non-binary or like the kind of definitions of it. Non-binary they, 101. <laughs> yeah, like they had an awareness that, they had an awareness that I didn't need to explain that. And if I feel like if I'd gone to a, a publisher that wasn't LGBT specific, they may have push their internal bias or their internal lack of education onto me and projected it onto me and being like mm, some people won't know what this means can you explain it and I think what was great about having an LGBT publisher was that that didn't happen because they they know the nuances of the audience they know the fact that that is a lot of emotional work for a non-binary person or a trans person to do um yeah they're very flexible I think as well because the book was my story they can't there was only so much uh, criticism that they could... You can't really do. deny it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were, there were points where they were like, this story's great, but it needs to be shorter, or this story's great, but it doesn't make Story sense. Of my life. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, okay, fine. But yeah, they can't, they can't say if it's true or not. You know, they can't exactly. say, don't put that in. They don't um, have the ability to put that judgment on it. Right, exactly. And like now... I'm really, I'm, I'm just very thankful for that. It was a great, a great situation to be in. So I wanted to ask, um, when do you feel your toughest? Wow, what a question. I think annoyingly, the, like, the writer part of my brain looks at the word tough and I'm like, what? Like what's the connotation of tough? Tough is seen as like strong, unmessable, like don't fuck with me energy. And if I if I was to look at it in that way, if I was to say, when do I feel the most tough in that in that sense is when I'm when I'm in my work. And when I'm when I'm when I feel just like really confident and I'm able to let the imposter syndrome go and I'm able to let 
everything go and just be like, I've worked to get to this position and I'm so happy to do the job that I'm doing. And although it is tough, um, I'm tough enough to continue with it. You know, I think, I guess, so that's on a work sense. I want a personal sense, I guess when I feel my toughest is when I've been able to get through something when, you know, when you're in those moments of crisis or, or sadness or trauma where you can be, you, you know, the other side seems completely unseeable. So I guess I feel quite tough. My toughest when I've got to the other side and I can look back and be like, oh, I, did, I got through that. It was tough, but I'm now tougher. <laughs> And lastly, what tough topics do you think need to be discussed more or continue to be discussed? Mm. I think, you know, yeah, I think tough topics, you know, this month we've seen a lot of tough news bubbling around, around, you know, not only with the news that 97% of women have been sexually harassed in some way but also the news around the disappearance of Sarah in Carpen Common and and the, the just the hyper vigilance that women go through I think that is a tough topic in itself you know but I think what and I spoke about this online I see received quite a lot of backlash but I think it's again people's egos is in these situations reminding people to also remember people of diverse gender identities and trans women and non-binary people and gender non-conforming people to remember those identities in your work around um, sexual violence advocacy and also physical violence advocacy and the criminal justice system is to sound a tough, you know, it's a tough topic to discuss, but I think it's important that including trans people does not exclude cis people it just shows that we all have unfortunately the same enemy and the disproportion the disproportionate ways in which trans people are affected has to be recognized from you know from experience with the criminal justice system from experience going through situations like that it is incredibly hard to then get support either from your peers or from institutions because the conversations just are not had widely enough so that the institutions, the police, the NHS know how to uh, deal with that. So I'd say we need, we need to continue to speak about that in all of our advocacy work. You know, anything that involves gender-specific gender people, like if you're doing anything on men, anything on women, you need to like people just need to remember that not everyone is on the binary and not everyone is impacted in the same way as as cisgendered people and that's okay it doesn't negate the cisgendered experience it just makes the whole experience more inclusive that was a really powerful sentiment and a very true sentiment um so thank you so much for sharing that um and do you have anything else coming up and where can people find you? So I'm currently, I guess in the future, I'm currently working on a proposal for book two, which is very fun. Clang. So exciting. Um, which I will leave hush hush and allow you to 
not think about, but maybe think about. Um, we'll speculate upon. We. Um, and, yeah, I'm just really continuing to enjoy the work with Gay Times, working towards our summer Pride issue. Prides are back on this year, so that's something that hopefully we can get back to, although it's going to be in September, which I can't tell if people will still wear their tank tops, but we'll see. Um, and people can find me at jamie underscore windust on all socials there is the book which is available from all good uh bookshops in their shoes and there's also a series with the wonderful jamila jamil on her youtube channel that i did of the same name in their shoes where i speak to lots of hilarious um hilarious guests about what it's like to be in their shoes for the day um which was really lovely to film um and yeah hopefully just this year my plan is to continue presenting hosting that type of thing I really enjoy that um and just show more of my personality show more of my just me rather than what people expect of me um so yeah thank you so much you've been a, a delight thank you so much for coming on and I'm very excited to see the rest of you that is coming up this year as well <laughs> I can't wait I'll be eagerly watching <laughs>